0: So, if you have a Bible, if you'd please turn to 1 Corinthians 13, we're in week four. What we've seen in previous weeks, as Paul has begun to describe love, he's begun to talk about love, that uh, you can have all these incredible gifts. You can have the gift of tongues, healing, prophecy, incredible faith. You can even give away all that you have. You can suffer physical hardship torture for Jesus. And if you have not love, none of it adds up. None of it amounts to anything. And this week we're going to get into the character of love. What is love actually like? Love is patient and love is kind. Those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. And as I've been doing each week, I will read the entire chapter. It's a beautiful description of love inspired by God himself. This is God's word. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. You are perfect love. The Bible says God is love. And Lord, within the Trinity, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is perfect love and all of its characteristics perfect patience, perfect kindness. Lord, we long to be like you. We long to be patient people. We long to be kind people. Father, I pray that the marriages of Grace Redeemer Church would be per- characterized by kindness between husbands and wives. But I, I pray, Lord, for the, the children of Grace Redeemer Church that siblings would treat each other with kindness, with patience. Lord, I pray that as we interact with our neighbors and our coworkers and our supervisors, we would display kindness, patience, Lord, we we cannot do this in any of our relationships, in any of our spheres of life without Your love animating us, without Your Spirit filling us. So we pray, O God, that You would make us patient and kind people because of who You are and what You've done for us and Your power at work within us. And We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you know who is the current best-selling author alive today? You don't need to answer out loud, but maybe in your mind, take a guess. Who do you think is the current um, best-selling author alive today? Uh, I wouldn't have got the answer right. I think I would have gone with a, a J.K. Rowling or maybe a Stephen King. The answer is Danielle Steele. I don't know if uh, any of you know who. Okay, based on their reactions, maybe there's a few Danielle Steele's at home on the bookshelf, or maybe not. But uh, she's currently sold 800 million copies, 800 million copies and counting. Uh, I believe she's written somewhere between one and 200 books Apparently she's able to write a book in about two weeks. I don't know what that says. Um, but uh, I haven't read a Danielle Steele, but I'm told that most, and I, and I read that most of her books could be categorized as romance novels. Maybe not all of them, but uh, the vast majority of them. And it really shouldn't surprise us because we are a culture that loves love, don't we? I mean, we love love love. We love to talk about love. We love to read about love. We love to um, watch movies about love and romance. And um, the rom-com seems like it's going strong in American society. It's been around for a long time, right? And uh, we love romance. And what we see when we come to 1 Corinthians 13 is, although it's beautiful, it's poetic, it's, uh, it truly is inspired in terms of its beauty, and yet that being said, 1 Corinthians 13 wouldn't make the stuff of a best-selling romance novel. It really wouldn't. Here's what the Bible doesn't say about love, and maybe what we're used to, the kind of descriptions that we're used to hearing in our society. Um, it doesn't say, love takes long walks on the beach. Uh, we don't have that one here. It doesn't say, uh, love means you had me at hello, right? I mean, love is just first first greeting, and, and then that's how, we, that's how we judge love. That's how we know we're in love. Love means you're always on cloud nine. Bible doesn't say that. Always feeling amazing, always feeling excited to be around someone. And um, when the feelings aren't there, Love starts singing. You've lost that loving feeling. Whoa! whoa. Um, all right, I'm, we all remember the scene, um, Top Gun. But we don't. We don't find these descriptions of love, which are so centered on the emotions and how we're feeling, and uh, this and these incredible moments of romance and um, that that dominate. The book industry, the movie industry, all these other things. We have all these notions of love. Here's what the Bible does say about love and what we're going to get into this week. Because this week we're, we're finally digging into the character of love. The Bible does say love is patient and kind. Not nearly maybe as um, glamorous as you had me at hello. It's simple But it's incredibly practical and down to earth. Gordon Fee, uh, an author who's been helping me as I've been studying 1 Corinthians 13, says this. To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. You see, you know what we will discover as we get into the character of love? And this this week the title of the sermon is Love Is. Next week it's Love Isn't. Because one way to define something is to say what it is. Another way to define something is to talk about what it's not. But what we notice right away from this description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is it's surprisingly practical. Okay? All of us, um, I I think my four-year-old knows what the word kind means, to be kind. Even a word like patience, all of us can relate to what it means to be patient or to be impatient. What we see from Scripture, and this shouldn't surprise us, is it's not sentimental at all. In fact, this description of love, as beautiful as it is, it's incredibly practical. It's incredibly down-to-earth. It speaks to any culture, any person, any time, any situation. Any of us can relate to this idea of being patient and being kind. So just two ideas today. Love is patient and love is kind. First of all, this, I, this um, characteristic love is patient. There's a book by an author named Stephen Johnson. This is the title of the book, How We Got to Now, Six Inventions That Made the Modern World. It's a very interesting book. Um, six inventions, six advancements of human civilization that got us to where we are today. And one of these six is the idea of timekeeping. Okay, And this is something we just take for granted. We have timepieces everywhere. We have watches. We have clocks. We have phones. Um, but remember, there was a time in history where none of this existed, where people simply measured time by the rising and the setting of the sun. And you didn't know exactly if it was 1237 p.m. or if it was 1:22 p.m. You just knew the sun is out right now, and a little later in the day, the sun's going to start going down. You know, the invention of of timekeeping, of precise timekeeping, of clocks and and watches, completely altered human society. It enabled society to operate on a level of efficiency and advancement that, that was not possible before. And of course, this is not a bad invention. I'm glad that we can keep track of time precisely. But I think one result, maybe a trajectory that was started with the invention of watches and so forth and has continued today, is that we are incredibly scheduled now. And we don't do a good job of waiting. In fact, I would would venture to guess that most of us hate waiting on anything. We hate waiting on a green light. We hate waiting um, on a better car. We, we hate waiting for a better school district that we desire for our kids. We don't like waiting for a better job. We don't want to wait for a better body. We don't Certainly, we don't like to wait for a spouse. If that's something we desire, we want to have it now. You know, they've actually done studies. And they, 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 have, they have shown that um, drivers now, when, when they come to a red light, they have studies that show this are more likely to cut through like a gas station or a parking lot to avoid the light turning green. You're more likely to just tear through a parking lot so you save yourself the four seconds or the six seconds that you would have to wait if you just waited for the light to change and you took a green and you got a green light. Another another interesting thing reflective of our culture, I don't know if you saw this, Big study came out on the biggest loser, the TV show. All of you familiar with that show, the biggest loser um, there were sci- scientists followed the contestants on the biggest loser for I believe it was eight years. The show's been around a good while now, and um, sadly, uh, what they found is that oftentimes uh, the participants would would put all the weight back on, and uh, really, the conclusion um, of the scientific studies is that the human body was not designed to lose weight that rapidly. We weren't created um, to, if our goal is to lose maybe maybe 100 pounds or 200 pounds, it's not that that's bad. It's that the human body, though, was not designed to lose that amount of weight in, I don't even know how long this show takes, three months, six months, whatever. Rather, the way to lose that weight in a healthy manner is to do it slowly. It's to do it gradually. But, of course, that's not the way our society works today. We want want results now. We we don't want to be patient for things. Patience is something we all struggle with because we see how quickly some people get things and we see how, oh, if I just had this amount of money or if I just had this position, then I would be happy. And so we struggle with patience. Impatience is something I know I uh, can relate to because especially today with goals and and all of these things that we desire. And of course, we see things on TV and in movies and we think, if I just had that, if I just had that body, if I just had that career, if I just had that house, I'd be okay. Love is patient. And you say, pastor, I have a question. Wasn't Jesus a very busy person? So is the solution that we're just not as busy? Do we just need to um, take things off of our schedule? Well, that's a good question, and without da- without a doubt, if you read the Bi- the Bible, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was an extremely busy person. There's no denying that. Jesus uh, Jesus I don't believe was working you know four hour days. Jesus was extremely busy helping people, loving people, but he was busy in ways that I think are often different from the ways that we're busy. In other words, Jesus was the kind of person who. Um, you know he was a carpenter he was a, the Greek word is tecton he, he, he didn 't just work with wood; he worked with any kind of material and uh, Jesus, I can imagine him he, he would be working, maybe creating a, a table or something like that, and a, and a person would go to jesus and and the way that Jesus was busy is that he would he would allow himself to be interrupted. He would take thirty minutes to talk to a person and love a person and we especially see this in his ministry. People are always coming up to Jesus Jesus is always giving of his time and of his energy because he loved people it says he looked out on Jerusalem and his heart his heart mourned he 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 loved people that's how Jesus was busy you know Jesus i think a lot of the things that he did by today's standards would be considered a waste of time he was always getting interrupted by people he was always hanging out with marginalized people he he gave attention to women to poor people, to, to minorities like the Samaritans. He wasn't efficient in the ways that we measure efficiency. He was busy, but he wasn't impatient. In other words, Jesus understood. He, he was able to see this person, this human being who's come up to me and has maybe been sick their whole life. That is, that's more important than, than getting this project done right now. So I'm going to sit with this person and I'm going to speak to this person, and I'm going to heal this person. Jesus was busy. It's, it's good to be busy, as long as we're busy in the right ways. It's good to be tired at the end of the day from an honest day's, of, honest days work, but so often I think we're, we're tired, myself included, because of all different other reasons than the ways that Jesus was busy. Let me ask all of us these questions. Do you know how to waste time all right, and I thought about this question later, and I thought, well, you know what? We all know how to waste time. Really, the better way to put the question is, do you know how to waste time well, okay? Do you know how to waste time well? Here's what I mean by that. We all know how to waste time. We all know how to um, watch movies and TV and all that, and it's not, not, a t- not a bad thing to relax in those ways, but let me ask you this. Parents, do you know how to waste time and get on the floor with your kids? Spend 20 minutes with your kids on a puzzle, or playing with a toy or something like that. Do, or, or is, or is that simply something that there's no margin in our lives to waste time like that, or to you know do something else that we think um, with a loved one, with a spouse, with somebody else, calling up a relative, calling up somebody. Do we have the time for that, or do we just think just don't have the time for that? Do you know how to be interrupted? Do you know how to be interrupted? Um, all of us in our in our various vocations, we have we get in a groove, right? We're we're moving, we're we're doing different things, we're accomplishing our tasks, and yet, can we be interrupted for the sake of people, for the sake of another human beings in front of me, and and now I have an opportunity to uh, to say something nice to a person, e- even if it's just um, yeah, full disclosure. One of the hardest things I have is being polite to uh, you know teleconference people or or people call me on the phone and try to get me to, you know, I'm just so prone to just want to hang up the phone. And my wife, who is the example in so many ways, is just, says, thank you for calling, you know. (laughs) And I'm like, just hang up the phone. Why are you giving, thank you, thank you for calling. I hope you have a great day. And of course, if you keep talking, they'll keep talking to you. So usually she says, thank you for calling like five times. And I'm just thinking, I'm ready to pull the, you know, whatever, or uh, we don't have cords anymore, but um, but so often it's it's giving another human being an additional five seconds of our time. Being okay with that. Do you see needs around you? All of us have needs around us. Whatever your job is, whatever wh- whether you're in school, whether you're working, um, where- wherever you work. Whatever neighborhood you live in, there are needs around you. There are needs around me. And the question is not, are there needs around us? The question is, do we see the needs around us? And if we can't see any needs around us, if we can't see any broken people that could use a friend or who could use love or or who could use encouragement, if we can't see any, any lost people, If we can't see any ways that that we could bring love and kindness and patience um, in ways that that other people don't have because we're believers and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the reason is not because those needs don't exist. The reason is because we don't see them. It's because all of us, myself included, can be so busy or self-absorbed that we are not able to see the needs around us. A great prayer is to say, Lord... Help me to see the needs that you've put in front of me. Help me to see the coworker or the neighbor or whoever it is who is hurting and who is broken and who needs the gospel or, or maybe just needs a friend. Help me to, to love that person. I was outside my house the other day. I was uh, talking to a couple of Jewish friends that I've made, and I uh, was just chatting. Um, uh, And I said to them, you know, we're just talking a little bit about, uh, you know, differences between Christianity and Judaism. And I said, you know what? One thing I I really admire about you guys is the way you treat Shabbos, the Sabbath, Saturday. And uh, I said, you know, what do you guys, is it a burden? What do you guys think of this? I mean, do you, you, obviously it's very restrictive, at least the, the Jewish people that I know in Teaneck. And both of these friends looked at me and they said, Josh, we love Shabbos. We love it. Say, so we don't do anything. We relax. We're with our friends. We enjoy food. We enjoy fellowship. And I thought, you know, on the one hand, I'm burdened because um, Christ has fulfilled the law. And, and, I'm, and I'm truly burdened when I see others who are um, thinking that they're pleasing God with, with these kind of uh, following these customs and all this sort of thing. But on the other hand, I'm thinking... Um, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and God knows how we are, and He knows that we need time to unplug and unwind, and He knows that uh, if if we can, we will caffeinate ourselves for 24 hours straight, nonstop. We will just keep going, and so God gave us a day to rest. He gave us now what is Sunday, the Lord's Day, to come to church, to worship, to, to unwind, to rest. I'll say this about waiting for things. Waiting is hard. Um, some of you here, you're waiting for a spouse. You, you desire that God would... Um, you're following God's will. You're honoring God um, in terms of your your actions, your behavior. You long for a spouse. You don't have it. It's hard. It's hard to wait when you you know you deserve a position at work and you keep getting passed over for for other people because you won't play the politics or whatever. That's hard. It's hard... Uh, when you have health issues that just don't seem to go away and you long to be freed of those, that's hard. And so God, and, and the Bible doesn't simply say, you know, just stop complaining and just wait and just be a patient person. God, God knows, God knows what you're going through. He knows that you long for health or for a spouse or to be reunited with a loved one or to be treated the right way at work or whatever. God God knows that. And you just need to believe, you need to trust in faith that he's shaping you through the hardship that you're going through, that this is part of God's plan to make you into the person that he wants to make you into. And there's no better example of that than Joseph. We read about Joseph in Genesis Genesis 37 through 50. And what do we see with Joseph? His brothers betray him, right? First, they're going to kill him. Then they think, why kill him? Let's make a little money off him. So then they sell him, and he becomes a slave. And, he, and we all know the story. He goes into Potiphar's um, house, and um, Potiphar's wife wants to commit adultery with Joseph. He says no. He goes to jail. He gets forgotten. First, I mean, first he's, he's mistreated. Then he's forgotten. Um, remember, he interprets the dream. Remember me. Guy doesn't remember him. Stays in jail. If there was ever a guy who you know, really could be bitter at God. Joseph would be at the top of the list. And yet God uses all of these events in his life to shape him and to make him into the man that he is going to be and eventually raise him up to a position of prominence. Joseph said, you did it for evil, but God did it for good. Do you believe that your hardship or your waiting, whatever that is, is being used of God to shape you, to make you the Christian that he desires you to be as he molds you through the furnace. That's the first thing. Love is patient. Secondly, love is kind. Love is kind. I'll say just a few brief words about kindness, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up, and I'll, I'll try to apply it to our lives. I'll say this about kindness. Too often I think we care more about being right than we do about being kind. Uh, who can't relate to that, right? Uh, uh, you know, you, you're, you're in a discussion, and at some point, who's right really ceases to matter. And, it, and, then, and then at that point, it's really about, am I gonna treat this person with love? Am I gonna treat this person with kindness? But oftentimes, we, we hide behind sort of who's correct in the situation, not to say that that never matters. But so often, it's not what we say. It's how we say it. It's our communication. So in our speech, kindness is both what we say and how we say things. It's both what we say and it's how we say things. And so we should say, Lord, make me slow with my tongue. The Proverbs say, the the wise person does not just um, say, it it has no filter and just says everything that comes out of them, everything in their mind comes right out. It's not the wise person. But Lord, also give me grace in how I say it. And in my face, and how my face looks to my little children when I say something, when I correct them. You know, when the milk gets spilled for the 25th time at that meal or whatever it is. Lord, help not just what I say, but how I say it to communicate kindness and love to people. In our speech, our kindness is both about what we say and it's about how we say it. And in our actions, kindness is, is often caring enough about people to slow down and notice them. And this relates back to what I was saying earlier. Are, are we able to slow down and to notice people? To, do, you, do you know, and I, and I understand, right, we're all busy, and some of us have neighbors that you, we're not even sure if they really live in the house, right, because they're just so busy, and maybe you occasionally see a car come and go. But do all of us, myself, do we know our neighbors? Do we know who they are? Do we know the people who work on our floor? Do we, do we know the various people that God has put in our lives? We can't know everybody, but I'll say this. We do have to slow down and, and look at people to actually notice them and to care about them and then maybe to say, okay, Lord, how would you have me minister to this person? Love, uh, kindness often means just slowing down to notice people. Now, how do impatient Mean people, all right. Uh, what's the opposite of kindness? It's being mean. Uh, maybe it's being angry sometimes. How do impatient, kind, uh, impatient, mean people become patient, kind people? Here's what God wants us to do. He says, meditate, meditate on the patience and kindness of God toward us. Okay. How do we become patient and kind people? We have to meditate on the patience and kindness to of God toward us. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises or keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you know that God is patient toward us? Do you know that, it, I, mean, I know we, we just say these things because we've heard it so many times. Yeah, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me. I get that. But you know He's, God's patient toward you. He's loving toward you. He's gracious toward you. All of us deserve his wrath. We deserve to to never receive salvation. And yet so often God in his kindness to us, he's patient. He's patient. And so many of you, you think back on your testimony, you think, man, I ran away from the Lord for a long time and and God didn't give up on you. God didn't stop saying, uh, I'm going to change this person. I'm going to save this person. He was patient with you and he continues to be patient with us today. God is patient. He is patient in salvation. Sometimes I'm, maybe my kids or somebody else will say, "Why, Daddy, why hasn't Jesus returned? And you know, there's a lot of the, one of the, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things I can say, because I don't. Um, but you know, one of the first things I always say is, I always say, the longer uh, it takes for Jesus to return, the more God is saving people. Do you know that? The, every day that Jesus tarries, And we long for him to come back. Lord, come back. But every day that he tarries, somebody else is getting, and it's not just somebody, it's lots of people, are coming into the kingdom. God is patient. He's kind. Listen to the kindness of God. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. Christ Jesus, His kindness, His love. What a friend we have in Jesus. God is kind to us. He's patient with us. And the deeper those truths of His patience and His kindness penetrate our heart, the more angry, anxious people become patient people and kind people. Are you an angry and anxious person today? To wrap up, all of us struggle with these things. Remember this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Always go back to God, who perfectly defines love, who shows us what patience and kindness is. Only God's love to us in Christ makes impatient, anxious people relaxed, patient people, who all of a sudden look around them and say, wow, there's a world of brokenness and I'm able to bring God's love to that. Are you an angry and bitter person? Consider the kindness of God in Christ toward you. That's Romans eleven twenty two. 22. There's an amazing story. Um, some of you know the name Corey Ten Boom. I, I hope all of you know who Cory Ten Boom is. Uh, that name is probably fading out of uh, common knowledge in history. But the Ten Boom family uh, were clockmakers. They lived in the Netherlands at the start of World War II. And there was Casper. He was the dad. He had two daughters who never married who lived at home. One was Corey. One was Betsy. Um, When uh, the the Nazis came to power, they started to obviously arrest Jews and kill Jews. And the Ten Boom family were Christians. Said, we're not going to be a part of this. This is wrong. We know this is wrong. So... Uh, The 310 boom, uh, and actually more of the family, but especially Corey and Betsy and their father Casper started to hide Jews in their house. They built a little uh, door to hide a little shelter. Well, inevitably, a Nazi spy came in and and, uh, penetrated and and revealed uh, uh, the secret. They were caught. Jews weren't caught, but the 310 boom uh, family members were arrested. Um, Casper died 10 days later in a prison camp. He was in his 80s. Corey and Betsy were sent to a... Um, at first, it was more like what we would call m- maybe like sort of a luxury prison. I guess is where the, you know, the Hollywood stars go when they do three months or whatever. They went to a prison that wasn't that hard. But later, they were transferred to one of the worst prisons in, uh, um, I forgot to write down the name of it, in Germany for women. Betsy died. Corey watched Betsy die as her body just slowly broke down under the hard labor. Two years later, uh, uh, Cory ten Boom was released on a clerical error. That's how, she, that's how she lived. Probably would have died in that camp. Two years later, um, Corrie Ten Boom was telling her story. She's a Christian. She's going around sharing her story. And after she gives her story, someone comes up to her. And Corey immediately reacts. She just shivers up her spine because it's a prison guard. It's a Nazi prison guard in that final camp where Betsy died. And the man says to her, Fräulein what an amazing message of God's love. Will you forgive me? Corey says in her book that every part of her did not want to say, no, of course I don't forgive you. But in the moment, she prays. She prays to God. She says, God, I want to forgive this man, but I know you've forgiven me in Christ. And so she says, Lord, just give me the strength right now to reach out to this man. And it says that, in her book, she says that she reaches out to shake his hand. And in that moment, God's love floods her in a way that it never has before. And she says with tears in her eyes, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. She forgives that man who was complicit in the death of her sister. How could she do it? It's the forgiveness that she herself had received. It's the kindness and mercy of God that can change a heart and that can enable people to even forgive on that kind of level and to have love even on that kind of level. You see, nothing will solve the problems that we face in life except the power of the gospel. A new house won't solve our problems. Deep breaths won't solve our problems when we are constantly exploding on our kids, a vacation won't fix our problems. None of those things are bad, of course. But what we need is not behavior modification. We need supernatural transformation. That's what we need. Supernatural transformation that is only found in the power of the gospel. And I'll end with this. Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who God has given to us. That's what we need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your patience and your kindness to us in Christ. Would you make us patient and kind people to a world that needs it so badly, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.